You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. You are listening to Understanding Disordered Eating, episode 22 with Jennifer McCurk. Jennifer is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and supervisor. She is the owner and CEO of two businesses. So one, Eat With Knowledge, is a group practice of dietitians working with their clients to heal their relationship with food. And the other is pursuing private practice, which is business coaching for non-diet dietitians. And there are so many different programs and tracks to pursuing private practice. She is also the host of the podcast, Pursuing Private Practice. Jennifer and I talk about the correlation between diet and wellness culture and hustle culture. So the ideas of both of her businesses, healing relationship with food and working toward a more authentic self and business married together. We talk about the different dynamics that potentially happen under the surface so that we don't sort of jump from recovering from our relationship with food to then see these patterns come out in business, even if we're just employees. Let's jump right in. This is a really fun conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's go. So Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation. One of my favorite topics, Um, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to share all of this with your listeners. So I appreciate you having me on. So maybe before we jump into the sort of main topic that we wanted to talk about today, I just would love if you can share a little bit about yourself, who you are, what brought you to the space, all that jazz. Yes. So I am Jennifer McGurk. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. I'm also a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and clinical supervisor, but I like to think of myself as also a CEO. I run a company called Pursuing Private Practice, which our mission is to help non-diet dietitians build a business that really makes an impact in the world. So I do business consulting, business counseling, business coaching, all of those things. And I love to work with non-diet dietitians that are also building a private practice. Awesome. So I guess maybe the sort of natural question is why non-diet dietitian? Yes. Why eating disorder recovery? <laughs> no, it's like, how did you get to that specific of a niche? <laughs> no, I get it a hundred percent. So my story actually begins. And of course this is years and years and years. And I'm going to sum it up in two minutes, but my <laughs> story begins with struggling with an eating disorder. I had an eating disorder in high school, all throughout college. And I was studying to be a registered dietitian at the time. So that story probably resonates with some other listeners out there. And when it comes down to it, I found my own eating disorder recovery. I worked, I had my own eating disorder treatment. I worked really, really hard to challenge not only some of the mental health stuff that I was just given genetically and also living in the world that we live in when it comes to diet culture. And 
I say that those two things combine and create a perfect storm for so many people. I was one of them, but I did work through my own treatment to find, you know, intuitive eating leads to intuitive living to find a life and business that I absolutely love. So because my whole entire life is built on the foundation of eating disorder recovery, I want that message to be spread as far and wide as it can go. And that's why I care so much about the mission of all the dietitians that I work with, because we are non-diet dietitians. Not only are we building businesses just to make money, but we're really changing the world while we do that. That's why I care so much about our mission. I love that. So even just kind of like transitioning into our conversation or the main part of our conversation is your two jams. So eating disorder recovery and business coaching, growing your business in a way that feels authentic, that makes you a lot of money and you feel great. So even just thinking about the idea of eating disorder recovery and one's relationship with food and how one pursues uh, business growth, or even if somebody is not pursuing entrepreneurship, how somebody shows up in the business world, in their job, that there are so many parallels to these cultures. (laughs) And we need to talk about as many as we can, um, because I think that this could potentially be really helpful. Just the way that I'm conceptualizing this, and this is very often when I think about the parallels with uh, relationship with food and relationship with money, is to think through the lens of relationship with food and then sort of apply outward to how this applies to, uh, I guess, uh, business, everything related to business. So CEO stuff. So even thinking about like, First off, behaviors, eating disorder behaviors, restricting, binging, purging. How does that show up in um, oh my in business culture? Yes. Well, I, I would even argue, I take it back one step. Like when I was recovering from my eating disorder, like that was the time that I knew I wanted to go into private practice. And part of me, I feel like took a lot of my anxieties on food, body image, all the stereotypical things and literally put it into business. <laughs> it's almost like I recovered from something just to put it into something else. So I had to totally. learn, I had to literally take the skills that I had learned in my eating disorder recovery to business because part of me, and this is my personality. I know a lot of people can relate, but part of me thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to open up my private practice and I'm going to get one new client a week and I'm going to charge this amount of money and I'm going to see people like this and then they're going to be leaving and then I'm going to grow my business this way. And like, okay, that's going to be amazing and linear. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. (laughs) My life is going to change. Um, you know, all the typical messages that we see out there from a lot of business coaches when it comes to it, you know, make more money, change your life. Or my favorite is like make passive income and work from the beach and diet culture shows up in business all the time. So I think my biggest lessons as I was growing my business is to remember all the things that I learned in recovery. Like, don't be afraid to do challenging things. Your journey is going to be full of twists and turns and ups and downs. You have every right to pivot if something isn't working for you. Like all the things that we teach our clients that I myself learned in recovery, I put those skills to use every day as a business owner. So I know that doesn't directly answer the question that you asked me, but I feel like I had to just jump in and No, but it's a great sort of segue. And also something that I love to say all the time is that if you just address things at its surface, so let's say relationship with food, then we end up playing a game of whack-a-mole. So it'll come out somewhere else. And this is what you're describing, that if you just address surface level symptoms, they come out 
in another way. And this is how they come out for some people with business stuff. So yes, I love that point. Yes. Heal. I think healing from an eating disorder, of course, very, very nuanced and full of lots of different areas in someone's life. But I think when I could say that I wasn't just recovered from an eating disorder, but also like healed myself internally and did a lot of inner work and a lot of just, you know, revamping some of the things that I had learned throughout my life, you know? So I feel like we're trying to change the world that we live in. We're trying to dismantle diet culture, but while we live in this diet culture world, there are certain things that I think we all have to look out for and kind of work through and navigate and process throughout our culture and our society. Yeah. So even just to preface, before we can go into some intricacies about the question that I had asked, I think we have to preface it by saying something similar to what you were saying before in that everyone's process is different. And just because we're saying this, it doesn't mean that it applies to everybody. And that's okay. The whole point is that you take what works for you, pivot when it doesn't work for you. And that's fine because we weren't all clones of each other. We weren't all made to be clones of each other. Exactly. And we all have different privileges too. Cause I feel like if we are going to talk about money, sometimes I actually say money is subjective, but it is a very privileged position to be in when I say that. And I know that. So I want to make sure that I also acknowledge that because sometimes when we say like, Oh, well, a certain amount of money is means this to this person and doesn't mean that to this person. And this person over here needs this amount of money or charges this much. We really are doing what's right for our boundaries and what's best for us. And we are privileged to be able to have that conversation. So I want to say that too. Exactly. So even just going back to like the bare basics of relationship with food that are broken down into restrict, binge, purge, how do you see that come up with business owners? Oh my gosh, it's such a good question. So, I mean, all the behaviors with food can totally be there with business too, you know? So let's just take restriction. You know, sometimes people can feel, oh, I'm not worthy of putting myself out there. I want to stay small. I want to stay in my own little bubble. I'm too afraid to do certain things. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy enough to do X, Y, Z in business. You know, that happens all the time. And then there are some people, I would say maybe more so along the lines of like more binging people that are just like, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. That are kind of all over the place and not necessarily honoring what is realistic of them at the time of their life. You know, I talk a lot about boundaries. I mean, I feel like I've already said that six times here on this podcast (laughs) so far, like the people just not honoring and respecting their own boundaries of what they're capable of. And there's lots of behaviors that are all over the place when it comes to business, we can see it. So I think we have to just know that our actions are usually reflective of something going on with mindset and just lived experience and environment and things like that. And I think in order to make the business changes that we want to, we have to recognize that our choices come from somewhere. Yeah. Even just thinking about what you were just saying, let's say somebody coming from more of a quote, restrictive mindset. And so they'll probably, you know, use their sort of poor self-esteem to make decisions and feel really restricted in their I guess, business tactics. I wonder if you can talk a little bit to the idea of scarcity mentality, because it almost seems so interconnected in this restriction here. Yes. I can't, I have to see everybody that comes my way. It's almost like I can't necessarily, you know, I can't say no to someone, can't say no, I can't charge more than X amount. I mean, I feel like talking about money sometimes can be like talking about other number things. And I'll just say X amount for sake of just keeping it. Sure. Yeah. You you know what I mean? But like I can't charge, if you will. Yes. 
uh, like X amount of, for my services, I'm not worth more than X amount. I see a lot in cancellation policies with professionals, like honoring. Oh, yeah. Okay. Talk about you know, this one. This one's huge. <laughs> Yes. Well, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into a cancellation policy, but I feel like people are all over the place sometimes with their cancellation policy because they feel like their boundaries have to change for certain clients, or they feel like if they enforce their cancellation policy, the client is never going to come back. But I don't know if that's necessarily a restrictive mindset in the way that we were talking about it before, but just not being in tune with what's going to feel good for them in their business. Well, I think it's intertwined. The scarcity mentality is so connected to the idea of if I lay my boundary, this person will leave and then I'll have one less paying client and that's going to hit me somewhere really hard. And so it's hard to be assertive with your boundaries if you're afraid that every single time you lay your boundary, then this client will leave. And, and honestly, I feel like, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you, but I believe this wholeheartedly that every single time in my different stages of business, and as I've grown as a business owner, the more I enforce my boundaries, the better my business is not only for me, but for my clients and for my team. And I just know in my gut that if I'm taking care of myself as a business owner and I'm setting and enforcing my boundaries, I'm unstoppable, you know? And I just feel like I want all non-diet dietitians and therapists and professionals and doctors to also feel that because just think if we were such a strong industry that was just as powerful, if not more powerful than the diet industry, how this world would be so different. So I want us to grow strong businesses built on foundations that prioritize our own self-care as business owners. Yeah. I mean, for so many reasons, because if you think about it, if I don't take care of myself and how can I possibly help others take care of themselves? Because then I I wouldn't have the energy to do that. Besides for that, I, how can I teach someone to do something that I'm not doing myself is a little hypocritical, but mostly because I need to have the energy to invest in somebody else's life in my client's lives. And I need to take care of myself first, but also when we create boundaries, we create a container for healing to actually happen. Without the container, it's chaotic. There's nothing happening and they know that they can push your boundaries. I mean, think about like a kid, a toddler, or maybe a a small child who knows that they can get away with whatever it is. And so their life is gonna be chaotic because there is no structure, there is no boundary, there are no rules. And they need the rules in order to thrive. And so we're doing everyone a favor by laying these boundaries, in essence. I agree. As a mother to a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a baby. Oh, you know that. They will try very, very hard to push boundaries. And for everyone's sake, it is very good if the boundaries are enforced. Yeah. I know that you talk about sometimes uh, imposter syndrome, especially in business. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit to that point, especially as it relates to the whole mindset thing. Yes. And as it relates to eating disorder recovery, I mean, think about it. When we're teaching our clients eating disorder recovery and having them put themselves in challenging situations and really thinking about what we want their life to be like, of course, they sometimes don't think that they can do it because their current reality right now is not what we want it to be. And I think that that's the same with business. It's almost like if you've never experienced 
owning a business, of course, you're going to feel imposter syndrome. And then if you've never experienced growing a business, then of course, you're going to feel imposter syndrome. And then if you've never experienced scaling a business or hiring someone, you're going to feel imposter syndrome. I know for me, I've felt that with every new quote unquote thing that I've done in my business, I've always felt why me? I can't do it. I've never done this before. This feels uncomfortable, but those uncomfortable moments are really where the business growth happens, no matter what stage you're at. Like when you put yourself in challenging situations, you will ultimately create this new, I don't, I don't want to say like new level, new devil. Cause I feel like it does continue on like every stage of business that you do, but you do create your new reality. I should say like when you give yourself those challenging moments and work through them and process all the emotions that come with growing a business, you have, you experience building a business, you experience business growth in many different areas. Yeah. So in essence, you're saying growth in any capacity is on the other side of comfort. And that if you stay in your comfort zone, literally or metaphorically, there is no possibility for change or for growth. I know. No. So sometimes it's associated with a weight difference, which I absolutely hate, but sometimes you hear the phrase like no change, no change, you know, but I, (laughs) I hate that when it comes to weight, because I've heard that many times from gyms and trainers and things. And I'm like, cringe when I say that no change, no change, but think about it from our perspective of being a non-diet professional, no change, no change. Like if you don't change anything and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, the same thing is going to still happen. So you almost have to change in order to put yourself in that new situation. Yeah, absolutely. So said with a lot of nuance, (laughs) but of course, and that's the whole point that this is not any sort of linear process. It's all nuanced. And again, it's all individualized. So You also talk about coasting a lot in business. And I wonder if you can speak to that just for a second. Yes. So it's so funny because I mentioned something very loosely, not even thinking that it was going to be a thing, coasting in business on one of the dietitian business school group calls. And that's the program that I run for dietitians and faces were just, I mean, I know people can't see us, but they were like, what? Like like so (laughs) wide eyed, like coasting in business. Like, what does that mean? Because I feel like our culture tells us all the time, grow, 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 get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. And I kind of always just thought, oh, well, you're coasting a business. You're not actively growing, but it's hard because you're working on boundaries. You might be taking a quote unquote season off of actively growing your business. And maybe you're working on the back end, or maybe you're literally just like taking time off to enjoy your life or I mean, unfortunately, as we know, like throughout this whole traumatic experience of COVID, you're taking some time off because you literally just cannot work more because you might have to do something with your family or you might not have enough childcare or whatever it may be. So I know for me, I had a baby in 2021. My son is seven months old. And I literally, like I had to work so hard to get to a place where I knew I could take three months off of my business. But then when I was off of my business, I was literally off of my business. I was coasting and I let my team do a lot. So I experienced that in 2021, that it's totally okay to coast. And in fact, it might actually be harder to coast than grow for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, think about the lull. So when we don't engage in compulsive exercise, or if it feels right to us, we have to take a break from exercise because of our complicated relationship with that, or the moment in which we don't purge, that's the coasting. That's the doing nothing part. And sitting with that discomfort, with that nothingness is so, so difficult. 
I never thought about it like that, but you are absolutely right. <laughs> you are so right. I'm going to give you credit whenever I talk about that now. Okay, it is yeah, so you can true. Put me in your little book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. No, it's so true. It's that because, you know, society tells us do this, do this, do this. And sometimes, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes when we're working on business strategy, we can feel like, okay, a little bit of that. I mean, you probably have a therapy term for it, like a little bit of that relief where it's like, okay, like it's not exactly where I want us to be yet, but I have hope that it's going to change in the future. And this is what it's going to be. So I'm going to plan and it's going to be all good, but we know, you know, life happens. The realistic story of our lives is that not everything is perfect and not everything goes to how we want it to work out, you know? So sometimes with coasting, it can feel uncomfortable because that's the part where we're working on boundaries and we're working on just kind of being okay with not necessarily looking too much into the future because we have other stuff going on right now. Yeah. And also not getting sucked into more of like a shiny object syndrome in that thinking about scrolling through social media or any place online or in general, that there are so many coaches and there are so many resources or who knows what that are just put in front of you. And they say, 30 days to a healthy relationship with food. I'm making, I'm making this up or 90 days to grow your business and all of these things that, or, Oh, I love this one. This one's my favorite 60 days to 10 K months like that, you know, (laughs) as if, if you follow my my three steps, then you will get this. And then they have their masterclass fill up and then they have their group coaching kind of, you know, and then what happens is that they fail to deliver because all they've promised is something empty which if you think about it is exactly what wellness and diet diet culture culture does. They say, oh, lose this weight in 30 days. Do this one thing, do this one exercise. And this is how I did it. And this is how you can do it. Oh my gosh, I hate that. I also hate, so this is my own thing because I understand we have to talk about money and especially, especially as women, we have to talk about money, but I hate when I see like, I made this much money down to the exact dollar and cent. So if you join my program, you can make this much money too. I hate, I cringe when I see that because it's almost like this empty promise of if you do exactly what I tell you to do, this is what's going to happen. And it ignores the lived experience of the business owner. It ignores the privileges that some of us have and some of us don't. It ignores personality. It ignores offer. It ignores experience. It just doesn't take into consideration all of the things that go into running a business, you know? And I was going to say, you know what I was going to say? I was going to say a successful business, but then everyone's definition of success is also different. So can I even say that, you know? So like, I have to explain that if I say that. So I get it. I wonder if the successful word with business is the same as healthy with diet culture, that everybody has their own interpretation and what pop culture has defined as success versus, um, or health is actually just sort of like one dimensional and doesn't take into account anything else. So for example, if they say a successful business makes X amount of money and that you're financially stable in several different ways, they don't take into account what you had to do in order to get there. For example, if your, I don't know, marriage is in shambles and you could, didn't have time for your family, that's not really successful. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I was going to say too, like you can put a dollar amount on success, but then there's profit margins, you know, like there's like, what's your salary that you're taking home? Because I've known plenty of people that are making a ton of money and 95% of that is going to contractors and other expenses and affiliates and things like that. And what are they left at at the end of the day? 
it really is subjective. Like you have to explain the definition of success as being subjective with a lot of privilege, of course, but I do think that it is different for everybody. It just depends on what people want out of their business and the impact that they want to make. This is where I think being a critical thinker is imperative because if you see any sort of headline or advertisement or somebody you know makes a statement promising whatever it is, for us to think about for ourselves, is that A, true, B, going to be true for me or C, attainable for me It's not just that it's true. First of all, it might not actually be true, but we have to think about for ourselves, is this something I want to engage in? Like a clickbait. Is this an article that I want to actually see or is it just compelling and they want me to click on it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I know. And there's so much of that out there now. (laughs) Oh my God, it's more so than what it was when I started my business. And I feel like Especially with social media. That's the whole point is how do you get more likes, follows and figuring out the algorithm? And it's, it's not even so much about anything else anymore. Oh my gosh. Yes. And we can talk about social media too. I feel like my relationship with social media has drastically improved over the past year because I have moved away from my own account to a business account. And I have someone, and we have a disclaimer on our account now, which is so helpful by the way, like if this is true for anyone else out there listening, I don't feel like it's mine. And Megan, who runs the account with me, doesn't feel like it's hers. So it's ours. It's like <laughs> our team social media account. And it helps so much because you could literally log in and have five DMs there and all of these comments to monitor. And it's just, it's a lot. So I feel like boundaries are important when it comes to all aspects of marketing your business. Social media probably being the number one thing that we see at least. So an example is, I, I heard this from from several people, is that the idea of social media is you cannot outsource it. You have to be you online and that's who your audience wants to connect with. And if it doesn't work for you, then maybe that's not true. In my experience, I don't believe that that is true. So I believe in working in your zone of genius and Gay Hendricks is one that termed that coin. And I love that phrase. And I feel like for me, Market, I love marketing and I will direct marketing all day, every day, but the execution of marketing is not my zone of genius. I actually really like it, but I'm just not proficient at it. And Megan on my team can do things in probably like three hours that would take me a week to do. <laughs> she's so good. And she's also learned, like she's a, she's full-time here at Pursuing Private Practice and she's with me a lot during the week. So she's learned our voice and she's contributed to the brand messaging and just having a team member like that, that can help you so much with marketing is invaluable. So I would argue that you can absolutely quote unquote outsource, but I don't know if I'd outsource it to like just anybody like that person has to be on your team and in your company to know the brand and to be able to speak to the company brand. Yeah. So even just sort of uh, using this point to pivot a little bit is uh, leaning on people in recovery and in business and in business. Absolutely. It's I mean, it's it's a huge fear of so many people, especially in private practice, a dietitian, therapist really any provider, if it's not just me, then I don't have control over this. I don't know what this other person's going to do, but in essence, it's very different. So talk a little bit about your experience with that, leaning on people for support. Well, first of all, I will say when I was in my own eating disorder recovery and treatment, that was even hard for me back then. So I completely get it. And that is something that has continued to show up for me in business, but you know, you know, when it all changed, I'll tell you when I became a mom, 
Really? My How first so? post, oh my gosh, my first, so my first, my first motherhood experience, obviously with my seven-year-old way back in the day, like I struggled so much with postpartum anxiety and you should have seen me walking around with a smile on my face. Like everything is so <laughs> perfect. I'm in love with my baby. I'm in love with life. And I was really struggling on the inside. So at that point, you know, I reached out for help. I went back to therapy. I did all the things to really help me gain insight as to why that time in my life was just so hard. And I'm really passionate about motherhood and working, working moms and things like that. So it was really important for me to heal even further than what I had done in my previous recovery, like to heal, like what we said, like heal from the inside out, like to heal more at that time in my life. And that was also the first time that I ever hired anybody for my business. I had someone cover my maternity leave. So that person was only in my business for a couple months, but it was not long after that I basically said, I am not going to be able to do this alone, like motherhood or business. I need support in both areas. And if I have one lesson for anyone out there, like hire before you get to your rock bottom of needing support, because that's what I did. And I hope that people can learn from my mistake. And now I try to hire even sooner than what I think I'm going to need somebody because I've learned so much from that time in my life. And so even taking it to something like eating disorder recovery in less of a financial sort of transactional hiring someone to support you, support is so important, period, in whatever capacity it comes. Yes. Yes. So we get what, 45 minutes to one hour with our clients every single week. Like how many other hours are out there that they're immersed in? diet culture. So even if you can pull a couple hours hanging out with a friend that gets it, going to your treatment appointments, spending money and investing time or investing resources into your own recovery. Like I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I did that way back when I was 22 years old, because it's taught me so many things about my life. So grateful for the support. And obviously can't talk about that without talking about privilege as well, but just using the privileges that we're all given, if we're given them to take care of ourselves and to prioritize self-care. So similar to the word success, I think invest has uh, similar connotations in that it implies finances, but it's not necessarily all about finances. There's time and resources and energy. So investing in myself might mean I see fewer clients during the week so that I can take care of myself, you know, in whatever way self-care looks like to you, that's the way that you invest in yourself. And I think this sort of linear supervision, exactly, like, like buying a course that might help you learn a new skill or even investing, you know what I see all the time too, like investing in QuickBooks to make your life easier when it comes to your taxes, investing in maybe even a contractor a couple hours a week to help you with some graphic things. Or how many times have you tried to fix something on your website? I know I have been there before where I just end up screwing something up even more. So investing in someone to help you with website stuff, because the more like, yes, these investments can add up and everyone lives within a budget, but the more we can invest in ourselves, the more time we have for the things that really matter in business and move our business forward in terms of business strategy. So I feel like, yeah. And shout out to my amazing web designer, Ariel. She is, (laughs) she is incredible. I had taken new photos and I wanted to put a new one up, but she had created the photo with a little bit of a color block behind and did it in Canva. So when you swapped out the photo, it looked 
wacky. So I just like emailed her. She was about to take vacation in an hour or so, and she quickly did it. But something that I would not even have known how to do. So of course, besides for the time, I was freaking out. That it's a that's a lot of time like, to freak oh out. But then when I'm finished freaking out, I have to come down from the freaking out. I mean, that I lost a lot. I, I could have lost a lot if I decided. <laughs> I have been there too. It's so, it's so, I mean, it's so funny the things that we find when it comes to business that are like exactly what we're trying to teach our clients in a little bit of a different way. So I totally agree. Website people are amazing. Yeah. And I think also part, just part of the invest conversation is that so many times we make decisions in business that's related to financial return. And so if I invest in supervision or if I invest in, I got this so much when I quote invested in my podcast. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of money in this. Like what's your financial return? What's the ROI on your podcast or on the thousands of dollars that you're spending on this website or on coaching? And sometimes it's not really about the dollar amount. Sometimes it is, that's fair, but not always. Well, I think if you're going to put a dollar amount on things like confidence and energy and spending time with your family or having your weekends free to do the things that you want to do instead of catching up on emergencies with business. I mean, like what's the dollar amount on those things? So you kind of have to think about how that works. Like to me, there is no dollar amount because that's that stuff is priceless. So I think you have to think about it that way. But again, within your means and within your budget, like what are some of the most important things to you? Obviously do them first. Not everything has to get done at once. That's another diet culture thing that I think we talk about too, because you're growing a business in stages. You're you're not able to do all the things in your to-do list. Yeah, I'm going to need to re-listen to this for myself just because <laughs> I can do all of the things and definitely not today. <laughs> You can have it all, but just not in one day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe this is putting you on the spot a little too much. So let me know. No, okay. If somebody is really identifying with the things that we're talking about, what do you suggest is like first steps for them? Maybe they're aware that this is going on in their head, but how do they kind of get out of their head to work toward a growth mindset? And, yeah, like, you like know, you're saying, like they have a scarcity mindset and they're kind of overwhelmed or trying to do all the things they want to take. So I think, okay, that's what you mean. I, yeah. I love that question because, well, first of all, I feel like that's a lot of people, number one. So I feel like you're really, hit, really hitting on something, but it's almost like the client that's at the diet rock bottom or like wanting to reach out for support for an eating disorder. I mean, I would say, first of all, just recognizing and having insight that something's going on is the number one step. So congratulations, you are able to process that, which is unbelievable and amazing. So that's step number one. But I think step number two is just figuring out like, okay, if here are the things, maybe there's a list of 10 that I want to change right now, what would be like the tipping point, what would be like the only one, like one thing that I could do to kind of experiment to see if that feels okay. And what support do I need? Like, what are the barriers that get in the way and what support do I need in order to make sure that I'm supported while I'm trying to do this one thing? So I say your support system is 
everything in business. And I know we talked about that a lot in eating disorder recovery too, but do you have a business friend that you could talk to? And maybe even, I mean, that's free. If you have an standing appointment every single week with a business friend, do you have a family member that kind of gets it? Do you have like a couple of Facebook groups that also get it, you know, or do you have the means to join a program like pursuing private practice offers programs, of course, but like there's tons of other programs out there that are really great too. Do you need support in that way? Do you need accountability in that way? So I would say focusing on one thing is always good, like not to overwhelm yourself and just know that that one decision will lead to another decision when the time is right. So just kind of challenging the thought that you have to do everything all at once that you can really take it in steps, I think is so good. Yeah, and something that I've found that works across the board, this is only if it speaks to you, but journaling can be so powerful, especially when there's like a lot of thoughts in your head and they're really sort of disorganized and you wanna put them out there and make sense of them. Um, This might also be on the spot too, but I'm thinking about some books. that might not necessarily exactly fit the bill, but I I guess I was wondering if you have any sort of ideas for books with this particular emphasis, because so many of the things we talk about are so focused on eating disorder recovery, which is obviously the whole point of the podcast. But I think this is like a little bit of a niche if you had any other resources in terms of books or even podcasts. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, there, so of course I have both. I'm actually looking at my bookshelf over there. Wish the viewers wow, could, it, was, the it was only a little bit, a little bit of a segue for you to show yourself off. <laughs> I, I love it. I well, so I have to tell you, my own business mentor, who is such a great example of being a, a true CEO, because I don't necessarily interact with her every single time I have business coaching. I interact with her team, Rachel Rogers of Polo Seven. I love Hello Seven. I'm do I'm in their mastermind program now, and I will probably be a client of theirs forever. I just love Hello Seven. Wait, is that your business mentor? Yeah, well, I'm in HSI, so the Hello Seven incubator, and I'm going to do their mastermind that's coming ah, up. So too. that's also a book that yeah, we should be millionaires. One. That's yes. a good one. Okay, yeah, we can link Rachel, to all of these. We shall be millionaires. I'm also looking at. Hold on, I'm gonna. I don't know the author, so I have to go get it. Hold on. <laughs> literally live on a podcast, going to get this book. This book is really helpful too. It's the manager, Jim Clifton, Jim Harder. So I have not read this cover to cover, but I really believe in understanding like personality and understanding strengths and Clifton strengths is something that really helped me kind of step into my role as CEO. Cause I have a lot of influencing strengths. I have a lot of strategic thinking strengths and it's the manager helped me see how people on your team can help complement your strengths and that they don't want your job because they have their own strengths and they bring their own stuff to the table when it comes to your business. Um, Also, Radical Cancer is another really good book with having to do with team too. But I just feel like investing in my team has been another amazing business move that has really helped me grow. And I feel like I saw that initially, like before I joined Hello Seven's programs, but then I can really see it come to life. Like Rachel's not in every single coaching call that we're a part of, and that's fine. And that's where she belongs. You know, like her team is helping leading her vision and the execution of everything. So that was a really good example for me because I have supervisors in my program that help. 
Yeah, that also just reminds me of another sort of scarcity mindset, um, manifestation of scarcity mindset in private practice is when you hire, expand it to a group practice, and then just have this understanding, oh, the person's going to leave and they're going to take everything I taught them and just kind of like, just run away with it and build their own business or almost not undermining the next clinician, but something like having this idea that there are a finite amount of clients and if I don't get the client, then they're going to get it and they're going to take it from me, this competitive nature. And something that I like to think about is that there are enough clients, unfortunately, for everybody. Oh, um, yes. So there's just, this is a lot of scarcity there. Yeah. And we all have different personalities. We have different ways of saying things. We have different lived experiences that clients might want or not want, which is, you know, fine. We have different schedules. You know, some people work at night, some people don't. Some people take insurance, some people don't. Like we have different price points. I mean, listen, every single dietitian that's in my program is a non diet dietitian. Someone said to me once, isn't that weird? Because they're all competing against one another. And I <laughs> literally laughed. And I said, you don't know <laughs> the way that we work. We have a common mission that we want to take over the world with our message. We are going to support one another. And yes, you could quote unquote consider us competition, but it's that's not how we roll. Because we know that the more we lift each other up, the more our whole entire mission is lifted up. So I look at it that way. Yeah. And this is something that we talk about in the more general world of business, non-business at all relationship building, if you will, is the more value that you add, the bigger your network, the more value that the more you can grow as a person and as a business. And so it's all about creating value for the next person, seeing where you can help, which is an expansive way of looking at it as opposed to what can I take? What can everybody do for me? And just exactly. sort of a, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 exactly. I completely agree with you. And I 100% see that it's so funny to see it in my program too. It's like, oh, this person needs someone specializing in prenatal nutrition. This person wants to work with a family. This person wants, it's just you, we give clients away that are not perfect for us. No, after knowing who our ideal client is, because I think at the beginning, it's very hard to do that because you're just experimenting and you're seeing what you like and what you don't like, which is so normal in private practice. So if you're at the beginning and you're like, people are giving clients away, like, <laughs> don't, don't think that you'll be like that forever. Once you find your ideal person and your ideal client, and again, we're not going to be cookie cutters. No one's the same. Humans come with a vast variety of different things, but you'll see how, how much better it is to work in your zone of genius, seeing the people that you really want to see. And I do want to emphasize that even though we're talking about therapists or dietitians in private practice with this business culture, um, CEO mindset, it really applies to anybody in any job, but I mean, obviously to the general sort of world, but any person that's involved in something related to hustle culture, this is, this is speaking exactly to their experience. So maybe not exactly with a dietitian practice, but similar nonetheless. Oh yeah. Exactly. I've, I've seen clients with demanding jobs. I've obviously we've seen parents and I think the CEO mindset can go in many different directions, no matter if you have a business or not. So I hope that you're learning lessons and taking away the things that work for you. Yes. Well, before I let you go, can you let our listeners know where they can find you? 
Yes. So if you like podcasts, <laughs> go over to Pursuing Private Practice. <laughs> That is my podcast. I share lots of stories of dietitians building their business and lots of different clinical topics sprinkled into. And then pursuingprivatepractice.com is where you can find all about our offers. Like I said, our main focus is dietitian business school. We also have two smaller courses for people starting a business that know absolutely nothing about getting things set up and then a nutrition counseling skills course. Um, but pursuingprivatepractice.com is where all the magic is. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Welcome. This is such a good conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right. Talk next time.